0: established many, many years ago as a church in San Antonio, Texas. And you know the history and the story of the Alamo. There was a great battle there where the Mexican army was defeated and the nation, they called it of Texas, was birthed at that time. So what was began as a church became a battlefield and it's now a museum. My friend Steve Foster, who works for the Georgia Baptist Convention, says sadly that describes many churches in the world today. What were once thriving churches with the goal of reaching people for the gospel. The Alamo was established as a church to reach the Indians and to teach them how to be farmers and to train them up in the ways of Spanish and European life. And it became a battlefield and now it becomes a museum. If we're not careful... Even a brand new church plant like Transformation Church, if we are not locked and loaded on the mission, the mission is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When a church gets off of that goal, becomes driven by the agenda of man, it becomes a battlefield, and then it can become a museum. If you've ever traveled to Europe, there's beautiful cathedrals and churches there that are basically just museums now. Some of them are restaurants a friend of mine, one of my college roommates' mom said she was recently in a city somewhere up north and it was, a, I forget the name of it, a clothing store. And she said, I noticed these sculptures and things. And she said, as I looked around, it finally dawned on me that they were selling kids' clothing there was once a church. We want to be loaded on the truth. We want to be prepared. We want to be ready to go and do whatever God calls us to do. And that's why Transformation Church exists. We exist to be a church where all people... All ages and all cultures can be transformed by the truth of Jesus Christ. And so the best place for us to go to learn how to do that scripturally is in the book of Acts. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and look at Acts chapter number 8. We've been going through the book of Acts. We're not hitting every verse, but we're covering a lot of ground. Today we'll be in verses 26 through 40 in Acts. You remember when the church was birthed there in Jerusalem, there was 120 people. Then there was a sermon preached and 3,000 people came to know Christ. Then there was another message preached and 5,000 men, not counting women and children, came to know Jesus. There was explosive growth in this first century church plant here. And then later on in Acts chapter 5 it says that the believers had filled all of Jerusalem with their doctrine. So in order for all of Jerusalem to be filled with the doctrine people were sharing the truth of God's word. And you know all they had at that time was the Old Testament. They were writing out and living out the New Testament. So we looked at several weeks ago how to live and die for Jesus, the life of Stephen. Stephen was a man who was called to be one of the first seven deacons and he became the first martyr for Christ. He died for his faith and so after the stoning and the death of Stephen, there was a man there who held the coats of the people who were doing that and who was that man? You remember? That was Saul who later became Paul. We're going to look at his testimony next week if you'll come back next week. He was holding the coats of the people and they thought when they stoned him, then the church scattered. People ran for their lives. They packed up whatever they had and they got out of Dodge to survive. And as they went, they took the gospel with them. And we saw in the very beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, before he ascended back to heaven, the Lord Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses. He didn't say form a committee. He didn't say pray about it. When the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, it is natural to become his witnesses. He said, you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, where the church was born, and then he said Judea and Samaria. That persecution led to the spread of the gospel to Judea and Samaria. And so Philip was one of the first deacons there. And he was a part of all that that had happened there. He wasn't a professional seminary trained preacher. He was just a godly man who was one of the first deacons who was called on just to minister to dole out the widow's portion. And now we see God supernaturally using this man Philip in Samaria. He went and preached in Samaria, and many of the people... There was such racial prejudice there. They hated the Samaritans. They called them half-breeds. But he went to take the gospel to these people who were hated, and many of them came to know the Lord. And then now in Acts chapter 8, God took a man who was serving widows, who became a big-time evangelist who's touching tons of people, and he says, I want you to leave there. Or well, where do you want me to go, Lord? I want you to go 100 miles from here. Okay, where am I going? I want you to go to the desert. God, there ain't nothing in the desert but snakes and lizards, and I'm scared of a snake. Okay, why would you send him? Why would you send a big time evangelist reaching people for Jesus to go all the way to the desert to preach the gospel? We're going to see that in Acts chapter eight and verse twenty six. If you're physically able, let's stand and honor the reading of God's word. That's the context of where we are. Acts eight twenty six. As for Philip, that first, one of the first deacons, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert, road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was a religious man. And he was now returning. Seated in his carriage or his chariot, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, It's almost like, okay, I told you to come to the desert. Here's why. I want you to go up to that man. Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Lord Jesus, you've called us to leave the places that we were, our churches, maybe our other places. Lord, and you've called us to come and be a part of something new, something different at Transformation Church. And Lord, at times when things don't always work out the way we think, Lord, guard us from ever feeling like you've called us to the desert. But God, I thank you that you intentionally called Philip to the desert to preach to one man who could help shake a continent with the good news of your gospel. So God, may your word encourage us today. May your word challenge us today. May your word motivate us today to chase the chariots you put in Hall County, specifically here in East Hall. We'd go after those chariots and share the good news of your gospel with them. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. That's precisely what God did for us. Most of us have left established churches, churches that have been there for a long time, churches that had bells and whistles and sound systems and lights and stages and life groups and children's ministries and all those things. And God says, I want you to go to East Hall. I want you to go to the most neglected part of Hall County and you plant a church. And I'm so thankful that you're doing that, that you have not become weary in well-doing. You've not given up. We believe in the vision of what God's called us to do. Just like he called this man Stephen from a very successful ministry to go to the desert to touch one man who would be used to take the gospel to Africa. And you say, you know what? That, that's a lot. That was a lot for him to pack up and leave. I mean, he was reaching lots of people with the gospel in Samaria. Why would he go to reach one man? What if that one man was your son? What if that one man was Your husband or your grandson. I'm telling you, one soul matters. Jesus died for everybody, so he went. And that's number one. Write this down real quick. Number one, we must be willing to go wherever God tells us to go. We must be willing to go wherever God tells us to go. And you know, you would think I would learn that at my age by now. But I said, I'm going to be a youth pastor till I die. I'm, thank God I'm in a great church in Warner Robins in middle Georgia. Why would anybody ever leave? I'm going to spend the rest of my life here. And then God says, I want you to go to North Georgia. And then God says, I want you to go to a church that doesn't have the best reputation in North Georgia. But we followed the call of God to do that, not once but twice. And God said, I'm going to keep you in North Georgia till you die. And I came close to that several times already. But no, God says, now I want you to plant a church in East Hall. My God, the economy is terrible. Do you not see gas? has been five. Now it's over $4 a gallon. Do you not see people having to spend maybe their retirement just to make ends meet and buy groceries and put fuel in their car? God, the economy. God's like, I know that. But you're going to plant a church in East Hall. God's going to plant a church in East Hall. And He's going to use us. He's going to use your obedience to leave wherever you were to come and to be a part of this. And so that's what He did. So we're laying the foundation here as we look forward to the fall. And Jojo Thomas, our director of missions, called me this week just to check on us, just to encourage us. I told you last week, you are being noticed. This church is talked about through the state of Georgia. I told you Thomas Hammond, the executive director, called the church check on us and encourage us last week. Steve Foster, one of our evangelism consultants with the convention, he calls to check on us and encourage us. So you may think, man, we're not really touching a lot of people yet, but I'm telling you God's blessing this heart. Hope He's blessing your heart as we lay the foundation and we trust God to do something way bigger than us. So when Philip left a successful ministry in Samaria to go to the desert and brave the lizards and the snakes to reach this one man, little did he know that that one man, God would use him to take the gospel back to his country of Ethiopia. Well, it says he was in Jerusalem to worship. It said he went to Jerusalem to worship. So probably this African man was a Gentile who had converted to Judaism, but he went to church, but he left empty. He's reading Isaiah and he's like, I just don't really understand. I'm empty. I've been to church and I left empty. Have you ever been to church? And you come to be encouraging. Just leave empty like, God, I didn't get nothing. I didn't understand any of that. But Stephen followed the call of God to do what God wanted him to do, even if it meant that. Not only was this man from Ethiopia, but he was a high-ranking government official. He was a somebody. And Philip could have been intimidated to go up to this. I mean, it was probably like a Mercedes-Benz kind of chariot or carriage that he went up to. Not like something I would drive. The man was obviously religious. He was reading aloud from the Old Testament book of Isaiah so he's religious, and so he, appro- he left where he was to go up and approach an influential man. And I'm telling you, it gives me hope for even our government today. It gives me hope for those in authority in America and in Georgia today who sometimes we think, man, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. May I remind you, lost people act like lost people because they're lost. And there is no Holy Spirit inside of them. And you may look at somebody who gets on TV, these politicians, and, and celebrate and scream and yell and their veins pop out of their neck. They're angry, say our Supreme Court is wrong because we said we ought to protect life from conception until natural death. You think, how evil can a person be? Can God reach evil people? Come back next week. I haven't titled the message for next week, but I think I'm going to title Jesus Changes Terrorist. The apostle Paul, Saul, was the original terrorist in Scripture who went around hunting, persecuting, and killing Christians, and God transformed him. If God transformed that man, you name whoever you're thinking of in your mind, God can change them too. I've seen the Lord do that. I may have shared this with you before, but when I was a student in Athens and God had called me to ministry I'm getting my degree at UGA, I took a group of teenagers from Prince Avenue Baptist Church either Monday night or, I did ministry every night, but Monday or Tuesday went to Bridgeway Home for Boys. It was a home for neglected boys or boys who'd gotten in trouble in Athens. And God gave us a good ministry to build relationships with those boys. Took some of them to their first Georgia game. They never done anything like that. We'd go and have a little Bible study with them and then play basketball or whatever. And things were going great. And then a punk showed up. This kid just, his name was Michael. Like, he had the worst attitude. And it's like he distracted, he disrupted from everything that happened. My like, God, things, why would you send this punk up here to want to get in the way of everything? And I'll never forget that punk who had the same birthday that I do. One night he said, Hey, can you come into my room and talk to me? And I thought, You're doggone right I can. I'm ready to have a talk with you. And you know what he said? Can you tell me how to be saved? The Lord just continues to have to knock me upside the head with a two-by-four. He can save anybody. If He can save Paul, He can save any terrorist. He can save a government official like this Ethiopian eunuch. But we got to be willing to get up off our blessed assurance and go to whoever and wherever God calls us to do, to do that. This man was influential, but he was still searching for truth. Number two, not only must we be prepared to do that, we must be prepared to share God's truth. We must be prepared to share God's truth. Look at verse 30. Philip, now he could have been intimidated by that Cadillac or Mercedes-Benz chariot. He could have been intimidated. This was obviously a famous man. No, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless somebody instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the chariot and sit with him. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this passage, the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. The Holy Spirit was already at work in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. He was already speaking to him. He was already giving him a desire for the truth. And I believe when God called us to establish a church in this East Hall community, God is preparing hearts right now all around us. Maybe they're in that gym out there. Maybe they're on that playground out there. God has got them in East Hall. And if He called us to do this in East Hall, I believe He He's preparing hearts and he just needs us to chase after some chariots to go after some people and to share the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit's already at work and of all the passages of scripture the dude could have been reading, he was reading Isaiah 53. One of the most Christocentric, one of the most obvious passages about Jesus fulfilling that prophecy in all the word of God. So he took him right where he was and he said, do you understand that? He didn't just start preaching and shoving the gospel down his throat. He met the man who where he was. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Philip was a deacon. If you go back to Acts chapter 6, it says, true, godly, biblical deacons ought to be men who give evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If churches would just follow that piece of advice right there, it would save a lot of heartache. But Philip had already given evidence of being filled with the Spirit and obedient to the Spirit. So when the Spirit said, go, he went to the desert. When the Spirit said, talk to that rich, influential man, he did that. So he took that passage of Scripture and he just said, Do you know what you're reading? That's a great model for you and I when we're witnessing. When we're talking to people, people love to share our opinions. Everybody has an opinion about everything. He was in touch with people. He met the man where he was. And you say, well, you know, that's just not my personality. I'm just shy. I just can't go talk to people. If you're walking down your neighborhood and your neighbors who you know are at work, and their little kids are in the house, and the house is on fire, would you say, I'm just shy. It's not my personality to go knock on the door. It's, I don't yell at people. I don't yell to come out of the house. And no, we would do whatever it takes to save people. The reality is if I save kids out of a burning house, they're still going to die at some point. Whether they die or the Lord raptures them, all of our life, we all have an expiration date. None of us are going to live forever on this earth. Everybody has eternal life. The question is, what kind do you want, smoking or non-smoking? Heaven or hell, where are we going to spend our eternity? So we're not timid about sharing other things. We must not be timid about the gospel. Philip was not intimidated by him. He knew the truth of Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and of salvation to everyone who believes. No matter what your personality is like, whether you think you may be timid or shy, there are certain things you're passionate about. Matt and I were out here, I don't know if I told you this or not, out here a week or so ago meeting with the guy that we thought was going to save us a lot of money on our sound system. But we're out here talking, and I'm trying to listen and be polite. These people have driven all the way up from middle Georgia, and Matt keeps cutting his eyes. I'm like, okay, something is behind me, but I don't want to be rude and turn around. So finally I turned around, and you know what was there? My Lord grandson was there. My daughter-in-law had taken him to the park and they saw Papa's car. I was just a fool. I just ignored them, grabbed up Wyatt and t- gave him time. I wasn't ashamed of that. I went back and I apologized, but Wayne said, hey, I'm a granddaddy and a great granddaddy. So there are things we're not ashamed about. If I'm not ashamed of my little grandson who came over yesterday, let me read to him. It's awesome. If you're a parent or grandparent, you get all of this. You're not ashamed of that. You know, I'm not ashamed to talk about my team finally after 41 years as the national champions, the Georgia Bulldogs, the Braves, just been what, since 1990, was it 1901 or two when we last won the World Series. I'm not ashamed to talk about any of that. Why would we be ashamed to talk about the gospel? None of those things can impact anybody's eternity. We must be equipped and ready. And it's good to follow his example. What do you think? In your personal opinion, what does it take for a person to go to heaven? You're not shoving something down somebody's throat. Let them talk. What, In your personal opinion, tell me what you think about the Bible. In your personal opinion, who do you think Jesus is? And you let them talk. And you listen politely and then say, okay, do you mind if I tell you what the Bible says? And if you've got your Bible, open it and show them. Don't just tell them your opinion. Say, hey, let's read this together. That was a great example that he used to remind us. I don't have to beat people over the head with the Bible. I meet them where they are. The way Philip met this man where he was. And not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And be confident in sharing it. We'll talk some more about that next week as we look at that terrorist who got saved. And we'll look at how to share our personal testimony based on the life of the Apostle Paul. So we've got to share the gospel. I mean, politics, sports, Even religion, none of that stuff saves anybody, but it's the gospel that is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. If I'm supposed to share the gospel, I need to know what that is. So, what exactly? You tell me, because I need a drink of water. Tell me, what is the gospel in a nutshell? What is the gospel? Not a trick question. The power of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says he talks about the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus for our sins. That is the gospel, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. None of us have lived a perfect life. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there had to be a Savior prophesied all the way back even in Isaiah 53 that the Ethiopian unit was reading about. And so all of these prophecies were fulfilled perfectly in the life of Jesus the Messiah. He died for our sins. He was buried and He resurrected Himself by His own power. Is Jesus the only person ever to rise from the dead? No, He's not. There are other examples of that in Scripture. That Jesus rose other people from the dead too. But He's the only one who resurrected Himself by His own power from the dead. Jesus, that is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins. You need to know that. You need to be prepared to share that when God has those divinely prepared appointments. The Ethiopian eunuch or the salesperson or the lawyer or the person at Walmart, wherever you are, the person, God's prepared them and they have questions. My mother's Sunday school teacher, her old Sunday school teacher, she was well on up in years. In fact, her husband, her husband served on General MacArthur's staff. So my former pastor, Pastor Raskus and one Robbins, he served on General MacArthur's staff. Heard some wonderful sermon illustrations. But my, my mom's Sunday school teacher's husband was a shut-in. He couldn't get out and go anywhere. But he had always faithfully shared the gospel. Went out on visitation and shared the gospel. But he said, I can't do anything. I'm stuck at home. He made that his ministry. I see a number I don't know and I think, I don't know if I want to answer that or not. It, his name was Colonel Fane. Colonel Fane got fired up when the phone rang because he would listen to the extended warranty. He would listen to Amway or whatever, and he'd say, I'm going to listen to you, but will you listen to me when you're done? And that shut-in man made that his ministry to share the gospel with all the telemarketer people who called his house. And as you know, if you answer one, 25 more will call back, right? It's like plucking a gray hair. You pull out one, and 25 more will come back. We want to be prepared. We want to be ready. You've got to know the gospel. And listen, you have a story to tell. My story and your story is not as dramatic as the Apostle Paul that we'll look at next week, but it's your story. Nobody can tell your story like you. You are an expert. You don't have to go to seminary to share your testimony. Your testimony is what was my life like before I became a Christian? How did I come to know Jesus, and how does He make my life different? If you are prepared and ready, and I'm telling you, you pray for opportunities, God will just drop them in your lap like snowflakes falling out of the sky. God will put them in your path. We want to be prepared and ready to share the truth of the gospel with whoever God has prepared out there to listen to us. Whether it's the Romans Road, the Romans Road of Salvation, Romans 3.23, 23, 5, 8, 6, 23, 10, 9, and 10. That's the gospel in a nutshell. If you just learn those verses, if you just share your testimony, if you just share the truth of Scripture, if you do like, I forget the name, the guy who came up with this, and, and then Kirk Cameron, the actor, was a part of it, using the Ten Commandments to share your faith. You know, have you ever lied? Have you ever done... We've all broken the Ten Commandments. Way of the Master, Ray Comfort, I think is his name, isn't it? He uses the Ten Commandments. You can do like Philip Philip used the Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah 53 to point him to Jesus. There's no one right way to share the gospel. There's no one right way to do it. There are many ways to share the gospel depending on who you're talking to. Paul says, I've become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. We're not going to win all of these, tall. We're not going to win all of Hall County, but we'll reach some. And if we just reach one, like that Ethiopian eunuch, you know, what have we done to impact somebody's eternity? Number three, we must never be ashamed of our relationship with Jesus. That's the third thing. We must never be ashamed of our relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 36. As they rode along, now remember, Philip's explaining to him the scripture. He's explaining to him who Jesus is based on Old Testament prophecies. They came with some water. The eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, by the way, that's a proof text on baptism by immersion. Baptism in the Bible was always by immersion. They went down into the water. They came up out of the water. They didn't sprinkle him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again. It was a supernatural thing. He snatched him up and took him away. And the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. That eunuch, a high-ranking government official, the Holy Spirit had prepared him. He'd been to worship in the, in the, in the Hebrew church, and the Jewish church. He's still left empty. He was looking for hope. Philip explained the gospel to him from Isaiah 53. Now he's a brand-new believer. He didn't waste any time. He's like, you know what, old Queen Candace, she could kick me out of the kingdom if I say I gave my life to Christ. She could get rid of me if I say I stopped the journey long enough to go get baptized. He said, nope, I want to be baptized right now. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Did you hear what I said? Delayed obedience is disobedience. The Scripture teaches that one of the first things we ought to do after we give our life to Christ is to be baptized. Baptism doesn't save us. We know baptism doesn't save us, right? I know there are denominations that teach baptismal regeneration. In other words, you got to be baptized to go to heaven. That is not taught anywhere in Scripture whatsoever. If the only example I have is the thief on the cross... The thief on the cross lived a wicked life. He was crucified beside Jesus. He expressed faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hate it for you, can't get baptized, you go into hell. No, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't have time to enter into a discipleship course or to be disciple. By the way, the eunuch had nobody to disciple him. Philip was transported all the way to another place, but yet he knew enough. He understood he had the Bible, and now he had the Holy Spirit living inside of him. That's all he needed. I'm not discounting discipleship. I'm not discounting study. We should do all those things. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But he had all that he needed right then and there to be a witness for Jesus. So he went on his way rejoicing, and Philip went to share somewhere else. He was not ashamed. He didn't care about the consequences of what it meant to anybody else. Baptism is a big deal. I mean we are, it's not in our name but yes we are a Baptist church because I believe that is the the doctrine that most aligns with the truth of Scripture in my opinion. So we're, we're Christian first, we're Baptist way down the line. That's why it's not in our name. Denominational label studies today show us those are barriers for people. And we don't want anything to be a barrier for somebody coming to know Jesus. So if somebody asks us, we'll tell them absolutely what we believe. But we don't want to get hung up in that. But we're a Baptist church because Scripture also teaches the first step of obedience after your salvation is you ought to be baptized. It's like the wedding ring doesn't make you married. Wearing a letterman's jacket, you can put somebody else's jacket on, doesn't make you an alumni of that school. But you're saying, I'm not ashamed to identify. I'm not ashamed for the world to know that, yes, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for my sins. And what He's done for me, He can do for you as well. When you come to the conviction that Scripture is the inerrant, infallible, God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, you're going to want to obey it. He's going to have to beat you over the head with or, or beg you, please make your salvation public. Please be baptized. You know, I traveled as an evangelist, and one of the most common questions people would ask, how many did you have to get saved this week? How many did you have to get saved at youth camp? And I would always say, ask me in a year. I don't know. I can tell you how many people filled out a card, how many people prayed a prayer, but the evidence of repentance is a transformed life. If somebody says, I just raised my hand sheepishly to an evangelist, but I never make that public, Jesus said, if you confess me before a man, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. He said, if you deny me before a man, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. There's no such thing as a secret agent Christian. So I say, ask me in a year. I'm not saying you got to be baptized to be saved... But there should be evidence of repentance. And as we grow in our faith, we should desire to grow more in our faith. I remember when I first got saved at the age of 15, never having gone to church real faithfully with my parents in my life. We did during softball season because you had to go to church once a week to play ball. And mom and daddy played ball. So we went to church once a week during ball season. The summertime, we lived near Lake Blackshire. That's where we were every weekend at Lake Blackshire. So we didn't go to church a whole lot. I didn't know a lot. So when I got saved, I knew... Without, beyond a doubt, God rocked my world and changed my life. I got baptized on that following. I got saved on a Monday. I got baptized, baptized that Sunday night. But there were things I had to learn. People started bugging me. Mike, you need to come to church Sunday night. What? You need to come to youth group Wednesday night. What do you mean? I'm coming to church every Sunday morning. I ain't never done that in my life. But as I grew, as I grew in my faith, it's not that I had to come back Sunday night. I had to come back. I wanted to. The more you grow, the more you want to grow. The more of the word that we learn, the more we're responsible for. We ought not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. And the great commission to go and make disciples in Matthew 28 includes baptizing them. So baptism is a big deal that identifies you as a new believer, but it does not save you. It's a reminder of what Jesus did. The unit didn't waste any time. He understood delayed obedience is disobedience. Is your baptism on the right side of your salvation? And people say, "Well, preacher, I got rebaptized. There's no such thing as rebaptism. Never say somebody got rebaptized. Baptism only happens after genuine salvation. If you went through the water before, as both of my children did, at an early age, I took them through the waters of baptism, we talked to them from the word of God, best I could. Understand from what they were telling me, they got it. But nope, later on in life, they had to nail down their salvation. And that was their real baptism. They just got wet the first time, okay? So if your baptism is not on the right side of your salvation, that's a big deal. And I don't want to chase that rabbit too much. The eunuch didn't waste any time. And if you say, well, my ba- I, need, I need to be baptized. I've never been baptized. I need to get my baptism right. But y'all ain't got a baptistry. We have a lake in this town, okay? And we have swimming pools in this town. And we'll get troughs. In fact, we're looking to maybe buy a baptismal tub from a church that's merging with another church. We'll arrange for a baptism. We got Cannon's baptism coming up at some point. We've already got the first one in the books. He got saved at VBS at another church. So your baptism is a big deal. It's something we want to celebrate. But it's just a part of growing and learning and obeying. If Philip had not been obedient when the Lord said, leave the successful crusade in Samaria to go to the desert. Had He not, would we have seen the spread of the gospel? In fact, Zephaniah, I wrote it down, I'm forgetting now. And Zephaniah was predicted that people from Ethiopia, they were called Cush back then, that people from Cush would become followers of God. Acts 1.8 says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We've seen that play out in the first eight chapters of, of Acts. And now we've seen it go to the uttermost parts of the earth when it went all the way back to Ethiopia when the God had Philip not been faithful to follow the Lord. If there are people in this community that are praying about coming to be a part of Transformation Church, but they don't come. And they, they can reach people that I can't reach and you can't reach. If they're walking in disobedience, they say, I'm not going to do that. Will there be people like the eunuch who don't go to heaven because we weren't faithful to follow God's call? Ezekiel three eighteen nineteen. 19. There it is. It says that, it, that's not the passage I was referring to earlier. That was Zephaniah. But Ezekiel 3 says, If I warn the wicked, saying you're under the penalty of death, but you, but you this is God saying this, but then you fail to deliver the warning, they'll die in their sins, and I'll hold you responsible for their deaths. If God's calling us to chase the chariots in East Hall and we don't do it, God says, I'm going to hold you responsible for their deaths. If I warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they'll die in their sins. But you will have saved yourself because you obeyed me. I can't make anybody saved. I can't chase down a chariot and stick the gospel down their throat, but I can be a faithful witness. And if I do that, according to Ezekiel, their blood won't be on my hands. We must never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's what church planting is all about. We want to reach new people that have never been reached. Will you obey the Lord? Will you lock arms with us and say, we're going to do whatever it takes to touch this community with the good news of the gospel. If you've never been baptized, come and talk to us about being baptized and going public. I remember when you got baptized at Airline. I remember that very well pastor Greg baptized you there didn't he if you've never done that or your baptism is not on the right side of your salvation let's talk about making that thing right today but the lesson from Philip is the old hymn says wherever he leads I'll go wherever he leads I'll go whatever he wants me to do that's what I'm willing to do will you join me in that let's pray together